But John chapter 7, the Gospel of John, chapter number 7, verse number 40. We're in a series on Sunday mornings through the Gospel of John. I believe this is sermon number 30. Sermon number 30. We're working on it. Not halfway through yet. Because God's Word is important. This is the, this is the title of the series, Knowing Jesus Christ. The most important knowledge you can have is that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. And it's not just knowing about God. It's not just being a quote-unquote Christian, but it's knowing Jesus Christ. Verse number 40 of uh, John chapter 7 is we're going to be picking up um, kind of mid-story this morning. The Bible says, many, therefore, many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, that would be last week's sermon, Um, where Jesus said in verse number 37, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus had stood up, he had cried out, If you thirst, come to me and drink. Many of the people, therefore, verse number 40, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said... This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. There was a schism. There was a great divide. There was dissension that was taking place. And some of the people would have taken him. They wanted to arrest him. But no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees, the ones who were supposed to arrest Jesus, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? Why have you come empty-handed? You were supposed to bring Jesus to us. The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people, who knoweth not the law, are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, John chapter 3, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him? And know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. They weren't right. They were wrong about that, dead wrong. They said, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Verse number 53 is a sad summation of the whole thing. And every man went unto his house. Every man went unto his own house. Title tonight is, what will you, this morning is, What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we just are so grateful and thankful for the word, for your love for us, for the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to communicate your word. I pray that you would speak through me, that your word would be clear. Lord, that you would confront our hearts with truth. And Lord, that we would choose to follow you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Opportunity. 
opportunity. Isn't that? It's a word that could be either good or bad. Okay? Uh, uh, During my study, I came across an old proverb that said, Four things come not back. The spoken word, the spent arrow, the fired arrow, time passed, and the neglected opportunity. And you could put more in there, but that was the proverb. There's four things that once they pass, you can't get them back. When you speak a word, as much as sometimes we speak in haste or say something, and as much as we would like to get it back and say, I never said, that's not happening. We can apologize all we want, but we can't undo what we've said. If you've ever gone archery, if you've ever uh, fired a bow or a bullet or something like that on a range, if you've done something like that, you can fire it, but you're normally not getting it back. Unless me, then I go have to go hunt and find my arrows and you know that kind of okay. But like if you've actually in a in a woods scenario or something like that, if you if you send that away, especially a bullet, you're not finding it again. It is gone. You're, you're not bringing it back. Um, and then he goes, uh, the other one that he, the biggest one that we want to focus on is a opportunity neglected. Sometimes that opportunity comes and it's there and you don't take advantage of it. It's not going to come again. Okay. Um, I enjoy sports and there's always, uh, there's always that point in the game. If it just caught that interception, I mean, it hit him in the worst place. It hit him in his hands. I mean, uh, if they would have just caught that, that was their opportunity. If they would have just not had the false start, that was their opportunity. You know, once you, you can't waste the opportunities because they're not going to come around again. You're not going to have that opportunity again. What's been taking place in John chapter 7 is the people of Israel have been given a tremendous opportunity to spend time with Jesus and to hear the word of God, right? uh, We're going to give just a little bit of review. I purposely left that only half a page of notes because if I had put everything I wanted to put, it would be four more sermons because I'm covering what we've preached in the past, all right? Um, But starting in in chapter 7, Jesus came up to the feast, right? Okay, He came up in the middle of the feast for the past three or four days. Jesus has been in Jerusalem. There's been uh, hundreds of thousands of Jewish followers, devout followers of the law that have been gathered there at Jerusalem to participate in the Feast of the Tabernacles. And Jesus came up to that feast for the purpose of uh, giving them an opportunity to believe on Him. Giving them an opportunity to know who He is. In, chap- in the beginning of chapter 7 there, it says, He went up and He taught. Verse number 14. He went up into the midst of the temple and He taught. And the Bible, He goes on, He taught them the doctrine of the one who had sent them. Jesus wasn't going up there just having a nice talk. He wasn't up there just sharing a couple things. No, He was teaching them the Word of God. He was opening and expounding the Word of God so that their understanding could be opened and they could understand the truth of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that He's the fulfillment of all of the prophecies. He's the fulfillment of the, of the Feast of the Tabernacles. He's the one they're looking for. He taught them the doctrine of the One who sent Him. He taught Him the doctrine of God the Father 
who Jesus is equal with. He is one with the Father. Jesus is um, um, the very is God in the flesh, but he was saying, this is where I've come from. This is what I am teaching has come from. It's in a, agreement with the Scriptures. I am teaching you the Word of God. Well, they begin arguing with him. Right? They begin, if you've been with us, they begin, uh, conflict arose. And so uh, they, Jesus, in verse number 21, said, I've done one work in ye marvel. And he began to confront them with the fact that they were seeking to kill him. So not only did he teach them the word of God, he confronted and exposed their sin. You have a heart problem. You're accusing me of not keeping the law, but you're plotting to murder me, which is not keeping the law. Let's, let's deal with what sin is here. And so what is Jesus doing? He's giving them another opportunity, right? He's, ex- he's telling them exactly what is going on. He's telling them, I know your hearts. You're not even admitting this, but I know what's going on in your heart. I, I am explaining what is there. He confronted them with truth in their own sin. Then in verse number 28, Jesus cried in the temple. Okay, he stood up and he lifted up his voice. He yelled. He shouted. His voice rang through the temple as he cried out and he said, Ye both know me and know whence I am, and I am not come from myself, but he that sent me is true whom ye know not. But I know him, and and I am from him, and he hath sent me. Jesus stood and he's crying out, what is he establishing? Where he's from. He's establishing his mission. I'm not just a wandering prophet that happened to show up in Jerusalem and trying to cause a fuss. No, I am sent from God. Um, I know God whom you know not. He is emphasizing his heavenly nature, his heavenly mission. He is standing and he's crying out saying, I am the one you're looking for. I am the Messiah. He is identifying himself as having heavenly origins. Is everybody, okay, everybody staying together? Okay, then Jesus isn't done yet. Verse number 37, what we covered last week, Jesus cried out and said, if any of you thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And if he that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus was inviting them. He, what is he doing? He's giving them another opportunity. He's preaching to them saying, I have what you need if you thirst, if there's something that is missing in your life, if you realize that just your traditions are not enough, by the way, they're not. And if you realize that uh, going, uh, just believing in the idea of God is not enough, you don't need to know Jesus as your personal Savior. You need to be born again. Jesus is telling them that you, are, you have a thirst. There is something that's missing in your life, and I have the answer for that. By the way, that's the whole message of the Bible summed up. Right in those couple verses. Jesus has what we need. Without Jesus Christ, you cannot be spiritually satisfied. You cannot know life from God. You will be under the judgment of God without what Jesus Christ, but the invitation is to all. He said, if any man, if you thirst, come to me. Would you just come and drink? He stood and he cried out and he gave them the message of an invitation that was clear It was plain. It was an invitation to all. Many physically saw the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, They saw him standing there. They physically heard the words of Jesus speak. How many of you would like to have been there? 
to hear Jesus Christ, would you come and drink? And go up and talk with Him. And have Him speak to you the very words of God. But in our text this morning, we don't see people flocking to Jesus. Right? There, Jesus has given invitation after invitation. He's given them opportunity after opportunity. And by the way, this is the only time Jesus has preached in Jerusalem. Okay? But just in the past three to four days, Jesus has taught. He has cried out. He has cried out. He has confronted them with their sin. He has invited them to drink of the water. But we don't see people flocking to Jesus to drink of that water. We don't see even a better understanding of Jesus. What, what, what did we read in our verses this morning? Well, we read what, what John described what was going on, that there was a great division, there was great dissension among the people in response to Jesus Christ and His message. Isn't, isn't that what we read? There's, there's confusion, there's turmoil. By the way, this isn't the first time we've come across it. This isn't the last time we're going to come across confusion and people saying, well, this is what I think about Jesus, or this is what I think about Jesus, or uh, what's going on there. Jesus, there, there's, uh, there's a great division, there's great dissension in the response to Jesus Christ and His message. The people were greatly confused and divided about the nature and about the character of Jesus. Okay? What does it say there in verse number, verse number 40 of chapter 7? Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, they heard that Jesus was inviting them to drink, right? They heard that Jesus uh, was saying, come and you can have rivers of living water. People said, of truth, we've figured it out. This is the prophet. They just, we'll get, we'll get there in a second, they hadn't figured it out. Okay, just so we know, they hadn't figured it out. But here they go, we've got it. That's the prophet. Okay, what were they referring to? They were referring to a prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Lord, Moses spoke and said, The Lord thy God will raise unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me, and unto him ye shall hearken. So there was an idea uh, that God had promised a prophet's going to come. By the way, that was John the Baptist who was the prophet that was going to come. But he's going to come and you are to listen to him and he's going to uh, speak the words of truth to you. And there was uh, more and more traditions that were piled up that this prophet would be, the under, would be the forerunner of the Messiah and he was going to prepare the way for them. And so here's what they're understanding. They understand that Jesus is speaking truth. They're not rejecting what Jesus is saying necessarily. They're saying, oh, that sounds good. That sounds really spiritual. That, that really explains some things that I've been misunderstanding. I, I understand some things a little bit. This is exciting. This, this is good. This is, this is right, what Jesus is saying. You must be the prophet. Okay? They understood what Jesus was saying was from God, but they were very confused about who Jesus is. And if you're confused about who Jesus is, you're confused about who God is. If you don't know who Jesus is, you don't know the God of the Bible. You, don't, you cannot know the God of the Bible outside of the person of Jesus Christ. So as good as this sounds, really this just reveals the level of their confusion. We could go this, aren't you listening to anything that Jesus has said? 
over the past years? Haven't you heard that Jesus said, no, I am from the Father and I am with the Father? And Jesus is going to get more and more emphatic in the coming chapters, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 10, Jesus is going to say, I and my Father are one. He is emphasizing who He is, but they were confused. They had heard all of this. There was the opportunity to come and drink, and they go, oh, this must be the prophet. This is exciting. But there was other argument. Others said, this is the Christ. No, 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 no. Okay, you, can you see the conflabs and the uh, discussion groups that are going on right now? Okay, this is the prophet. Man, I mean, what he's saying is right, and so this agrees. This has to be the prophet. Not the prophet. This has to be the Christ. We're, we're willing to argue. We're willing to postulate here. We're willing to surmise. This definitely could be the Christ. There's a, there's a good possibility this could be the Messiah. They were willing to argue that, but we don't see them coming. To Jesus. One man said it this way it's not sufficient that we are versed in the historical facts of the Bible, nor that we have a clear grasp intellectually of the doctrines of Christianity unless our hearts are affected and our lives molded by God's word. We are no better off than a starving man with a cookbook in his hand. Okay? The word of God does not do its work until we believe it until we allow it to change us. Just knowing the facts about it, being able to repeat, being able to quote Bible verses, going through the rituals of Christianity, going to church, go, okay, that is the motions. Okay, that needs to be produced out of a heart that surrendered to Jesus Christ. We should go to church because we love Jesus Christ. We should go to church because we want to know more about Jesus Christ. We don't go to church to, well, I do this to please God and I do... No, 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 it's, it's the opposite way. It starts from the heart. Here's what they're talking about. Oh, this could, definitely could be the Messiah, but there's no change that's taken place in their heart. It's still darkness. It's still confusion. But it says, but some, verse number 41, but some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? They are not wrong. Okay, that is a, that is a biblical statement. There are biblical prophecies. They understood correctly that God had promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 49 that Shiloh would come from the seed of David, or seed of Judah, and then later it would be from the seed of David would be the one who would rule and reign. And there was prophecy after prophecy that the Messiah would be the line of David. By the way, at the triumphal entry, that's why they said, Hosanna to the son of David. That was a messianic title that they were giving to Jesus Christ later. The Bible prophesied in Micah chapter 5 that from the, out of uh, Bethlehem would the Messiah, would the ruler come. When Herod asked the religious leaders, they didn't have to go research it. They knew it just like that. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Okay? So they had a biblical understanding of some of the facts. They just did not have an understanding, a true understanding of who Jesus is. By the way, if Jesus had been born in Nazareth, he could not be the Messiah. Because that would not have been a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem in a fulfillment of God's word. But they incorrectly assumed 
that because Jesus had grown up in Nazareth, that he was born in Nazareth and therefore was not of the line of David, even though the Bible makes very clear that he is of the line of David. They assumed, no, this can't be the Messiah. Okay? It wasn't that Jesus' birthplace was a secret. Okay, he had been circumcised in the temple right there, eight days old, in, a, in, a, in accordance to the law of God. The records were right there in Jerusalem of where he had been born and of the lineage of his father. They could have gone right there and uh, researched it. They could have easily known that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It wasn't that this was a hidden fact. It's that they were using this as a convenient excuse. Everybody following what's going on? They're saying, well, we have biblical reason to reject him. He's from Nazareth. You got to be from Bethlehem. Come on, everybody knows that. Right? Can you hear? Everybody knows that. This has, they reached, they had the right equation, but they reached the wrong conclusion because they put in the wrong data. You ever, you ever done that with a mathematical problem? Okay? You're trying, to, you're trying to get something and you put the wrong data in? It doesn't matter if you use the right equation. You're going to still get the wrong answer. And so here they were. They were putting in the wrong... They are like, this is what we understand. Doesn't work. Can't be the Messiah. See, we don't have to believe Him. We don't have to go to Him. Uh, this isn't the type of Messiah we want anyways. And they built it. No, we don't have to believe Him. By the way, Jesus had already told them He was from the Father. More important than Jesus was born in Bethlehem is that Jesus is God, right? Okay, more important than Jesus being born in Bethlehem is the fact of his divine nature, that he was born of a virgin, that he is the very Son of God, that he is the self-existent God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus had already told them, I am sent from above. My doctrine is his that sent me. And whom you know not, him I know, and I am from him. Okay? So why I'm saying this is an excuse is Jesus has already emphasized, I am from heaven. I have divine origin. I have a divine nature. So we don't want to believe that. So yeah, you're from Nazareth. We can't believe that. And so they used a biblical reason to excuse their not believing in Jesus. The temple guards returned to the Pharisees. They were astounded by what Jesus... Notice it wasn't the miracles. It wasn't uh, people falling. It was the words of Jesus that astounded them. Never man spake like this man. We've dealt with rabble-rousers. We've dealt with problems before, but never man spake like this man. By the way, they are exactly right. No man can speak like the Son of God. Jesus, they, they, their words were more prophetic than they knew. Uh, where they said, never man spake like this one. Um, but the, the, they were astounded at the words. They had sent the temple guards to arrest Jesus. That's back in the, uh, towards the beginning of chapter 7. Um, because they, uh, the Pharisees understood the claims of Jesus. They had just already rejected them. He said, we got to get this guy out of here. This is dangerous. He's going to upset all of our plans. So they went to arrest him. They returned. They said, no, we didn't arrest him. One man said this. He arrested us. His words arrested us. His words grabbed our attention. We couldn't do it. 
We couldn't arrest him. By the way, because his hour wasn't come, Jesus was still in complete control. But now, we, now the scene moves from the discussions there in the temple to the meeting rooms of the religious elites, the Sanhedrin, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests. We move into the upper echelons of Judaism as they're meeting there. The guards come back to report. And they hear, never man spake like this man. And their response was, are ye also deceived? You must be listening to those people out there. You shouldn't be deceived like those people. They rejected, they gave their rejection, their rejection of Jesus as a reason that all should reject Jesus. Right? Isn't that what they said? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? See, if he was really right, we would have believed on him. But because we haven't believed on him, nobody else should. The arrogance of self-proclaimed scholars and intellects has always been there from then till now where people go, because I say so, that's, okay? It's, they're, they're putting themselves up at the authority. Man has always, this is the highest rebellion against God. I am the authority instead of God is the authority. What I say determines what's right and wrong, and that's what these Pharisees were doing. And uh, they, they found their religious excuse. I wonder where the people, other people had heard that Jesus was born in Nazareth, was born in that. It appears that the Pharisees were the ones spreading that rumor because they, they give the same thing. Right? Verse number 52. Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Nicodemus... Who had, been with Je- who had come to Jesus, he, he is not believing on Jesus yet, but he's going, why is he already condemned? He hasn't stood for judgment. Let's, let's understand what he's saying, what he's doing here. Let's at least have an honest discussion. Right? Isn't, that's basically what Nicodemus is saying. And here they go, are you also from Galilee? Now we would say, what, what's the big deal about that question? That was about the biggest insult that a Pharisee could give another Pharisee. That a religious, uh, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. They knew he wasn't from Galilee, but Galilee was the dregs of society in their minds. It was the low lives. It was the common, uh, uh, we might use the word trailer park trash, uh, something you talk about if you wanted to uh, disparage someone, if you wanted to just condemn someone. You're one of, are you one of those people? Come, come, come on now. You're supposed to be more educated than this. And then they begin to go on. Out of no, no prophet comes from Galilee. Well, actually, Jonah did. Hosea did. Nahum did. Most likely, Elijah and Elisha came from Galilee. Most likely, Amos was also from Galilee. They're not interested in facts. They had already made up their mind. By the way, somebody who already makes up their mind, you're not going to convince them. You could give them all of the evidence. Okay, It was not a lack of evidence that was troubling these men. It was a lack of belief. 
Everybody with me here? It wasn't a lack of evidence that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and that Jesus, uh, Jesus' teaching, they hadn't convinced Jesus of saying anything wrong. They couldn't convince him of sin. They could not uh, actually accuse him of anything. Later at the cross, all of their witnesses couldn't agree with each other because they were making it up. They had nothing to accuse Jesus of. But they had already made up their minds. We're going to reject him. And the end result was every man went to his own house. Every man went to their own house. They had spent the feast at Jerusalem at least three to four days with Jesus Christ. And they returned to their own homes. They returned to their own lives. They returned to their own ways unchanged. Right? That's the emphasis that's there. They just went back to their own home. They had been there, they had seen, they had heard the words of Jesus. They had been confronted with truth, but they had ignored the opportunity that had been presented to them of the God they claimed to worship. Right? They said, we believe in God. We're worshiping all the traditions that they were doing at the Feast of Tabernacles. Was saying, we're worshiping the God of heaven. And when Jesus stood there and said, my doctrine is from that God, what I'm saying is from God, they said, nope, we can't believe you because you don't agree with us. We don't like you. And they went home. They chose to ignore Jesus' invitation. They chose to continue about their lives and their business and their own business. Their exposure to the very Son of God had not impacted their lives at all. Right? Okay? Had they been exposed to the Son of God? Had they heard the words of God? Had anything changed? See, the multitude and the religious leaders heard the message, heard the invitation of Jesus Christ. But they left unchanged because they chose to find excuses to reject and to ignore their opportunity to know Christ. They left unchanged because they found excuses to reject it and to ignore it. But we must remember and we must grasp that John the Apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is recording these events, recording these words. It's not for their historical value. It's not just so we can know what was happening during the time of Jesus, but it's for their spiritual power. John's primary purpose is to convince those who would read those accounts from when this was written 40 to 50 years later till today that this is the eternal words of God, that the purpose of this is not to tell us what was happening in Jesus' day, but to give us the opportunity to be confronted as well. This is not primarily about what took place in the temple right then, but it's primarily about what takes place in our hearts, in our lives, every Sunday morning, every time we hear the Word of God, every time we're confronted with truth, we have the same choice that the men in this passage had. So the primary purpose is not to reveal how others responded to Jesus, but to confront you and I with our own response to Jesus Christ. Hearing God's word presents the opportunity to know God. Okay? Hearing God's word presents the opportunity to know God. Every time the pages of God's word is open, the God of heaven is confronting people with the truth of Jesus Christ 
through the written word. Jesus is the living word, right? The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the Father, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, that Jesus is the living word. The living word is no longer present with us. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But what we do have is the written word of God. We have the Bible before us that God continues to speak truth. We hold the complete revelation of God in our hands this morning. Everything God wants you to know, everything you need to know about God, everything you need to learn about God is found in the pages of the Bible. If you want to hear God speak today, you need to open up the Bible. The Bible says, For prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This isn't men's writings. This isn't just some nice stories about Jesus. This isn't up for debate. This is the words of God. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It comes from God. All Scripture, its origin point is God. It's the very words of God recorded for us. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If you want to know Jesus Christ, if you want to serve Jesus Christ, this is what we need. This is what guides us and instructs us and corrects us and teaches us in the way. By the way, God has perfectly preserved it for us. God has promised. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Heaven and earth, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. He didn't say my thoughts. He didn't say that my ideas, he said my words shall not pass away. Jesus commanded the church that we are to teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We have to be able to teach them everything that Jesus said. That's one of the reasons why we use the old King James Bible. Okay? Because it is the preserved word of God translated in the English language. The modern versions change words, take whole passages out throw doubt on the Word of God, saying, well, this really wouldn't be in the best manuscripts in this. Okay, that's what the scholars do today. We don't need that. God has promised He's preserved His Word. We have the very words of God for, to, for us. If you need a Bible, I'd be more than happy to help one. If you have questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them. But the, the Bible says we have the written Word of God. And it is the Scripture, God's Word, that has the power to change your life to teach you about God. God teaches us about salvation through His Word. Paul would write about Timothy, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. A true salvation is not just a feeling that sweeps over you or something. No, it is being confronted with the Word of God that I am a sinner and that I am on my way to hell and that Jesus is the answer and that if I trust in Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven of your sins. We learn about that through the Word of God. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to grow in faith, by the way, we live, the just shall live by faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, the Bible says. It is through the scriptures you can know the God who loves you, who answers prayer, who is preparing a place for those that have been saved by grace through faith. The purpose of scripture is not just to tell us what happened back then. The purpose of scripture is to confront you and I with truth for today, to present you and I with the same confrontation 
the same opportunity that those had in the temple this morning. You have the Word of God. They were written, the, the Word of God was written for our learning, for our admonition. Every time the Word of God is preached and you understand what it's saying, you have an opportunity to know God. You have an opportunity to learn more of God. You have an opportunity to hear from God. God is still speaking today. God is still saving today. God is still giving the opportunity for every person to come and drink. How God is speaking to us today is through His Word. But it's an opportunity. The truth of God will produce division. You will make a decision when you hear the Word of God. Okay? There's a faulty idea in, I'm going to use this term loosely, Christendom. That we all just need to agree. And if we could just lay aside all of our differences and love each other, we would be more like Jesus. If, if we could just agree, it would be so much better. But that's not what, I would love to agree with that if that's what Jesus said. But can I read to you the words of Jesus? Luke 12, 51. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, and the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, and the mother-in-law against her, against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What is that talking about? God's word gives you an opportunity. You will either choose God's word or you will not. God's word isn't all everybody just agreeing. God, if you agree with God's word, there is unity. Okay? But God's word divides. The message of Jesus Christ is an exclusive message. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There are not many ways of salvation. There are not many roads to heaven. There is Jesus Christ. There is one, the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus warned his disciples that his way was narrow. And few there would be that find it. Enter ye in at the straight gate, at the tight, at the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The reason so few find the path of life is they are unwilling to surrender to Jesus. They may be willing to discuss the idea of Jesus. They may be, may be willing to debate the nature and the message of Jesus. But if you're going to know Jesus, Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Luke tells us, Jesus said, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. You know why the way of God is so divisive? Because you can't have your way and God's way. It's either or. 
You're going to have God's way or you're going to have your way. And Jesus was confronting them with the truth of God's word. And they heard the truth of God's word. They heard the invitation, come and drink. And they stood at the narrow gate and they went to their own house. They saw the invitation of Jesus. They heard the invitation of Jesus. And they walked away. Hearing God's word presents the opportunity to know God. There might be someone in this room this morning that the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now and saying, you're not saved. You're not born again. You don't know that your sins are forgiven. God is giving you an opportunity right now. Can you come to, will you come to Jesus? Or will you go to your own house? By the way, you're not guaranteed another day. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. An opportunity that's neglected may not provide another opportunity. There might be someone in this room that God is convicting you about a sin that you need to forsake. God is convicting you about something that's in your life that's not there, that's not right with God. And you've been saying, my way, my way. And God's saying, no, you need to give that to me. Can I tell you? It's an opportunity this morning. It's a gate and you can say, I'm going to go with Jesus or I'm going to go back to my own house. I'm, I've been confronted with truth, but I, am I going to leave here unchanged or am I going to surrender to the person of Jesus Christ? God might be convicting you of a decision you need to make to follow Jesus Christ closer, to say, I, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to be in my Bible and I'm going to be in church every time the doors are open and I'm going to, I'm going to seek after God with my own heart and I'm going to give my attention to God and God may be speaking to you and you have the opportunity. Are you going to say yes to Jesus? Or are you going to say, no, nah, not right now. I'll get back to it. I'll get around to it. Can I tell you this? You will be, be able to find an excuse as to why you don't need to follow Jesus. They did. Not a valid excuse. An excuse is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Okay? You will be able to find an excuse why you don't have to serve God. You will be able to find an excuse why today is not the day of salvation. You will be able to find an excuse. But you're going to leave unchanged. And you're going to miss out on the opportunity. The Bible is open to any honest investigation. You have questions, search the scriptures. You have questions, please, I would love nothing more than to be able to take time and sit down and say, this is what the Bible says. And I don't claim to have all the answers, but I know if we understand the Bible, we will be confronted with the word of God. And then you will have a choice to make whether you're going to believe God or you're going to go back to your own house. You're going to go back to your own way. You're going to continue on your way. Please don't hear the truth and ignore it. Please don't hear the words of Almighty God and say, I'm okay today. Don't ignore the opportunity that God has given to you. You can hold on to your traditions. You can hold on to the way you like your life. And you can leave unchanged. But there's no guarantee that God's going to give you another opportunity. There's no guarantee that you're going to have another time where God speaks to your heart. Yes, they went to their own home, but they went thirsty. They went with noise in their souls. They had pushed any thought of the truth of Jesus to the back of their minds, and they returned to their businesses, their daily life. 
but they remained unsatisfied. Every time God's word is open, God is speaking and he's confronting us with truth. The problem is not Jesus' words, demands, his demeanor. The problem is not with that. The problem is not with a lack of evidence. The problem is not necessarily the inability to understand the demands of Jesus. The problem is not your lack of exposure or access to Jesus. His words are right here. The Bible has never been more accessible than it is today. What will you do with Jesus? There's an opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. There's an opportunity to follow Jesus Christ. If you've been with us, we've heard Jesus teach again and again. And the principle that's trying to get across is there's times that God gives us that opportunity. And we either are going to go back to our own house or we're going to trust Jesus Christ. Maybe for salvation, maybe for the next step in following him and trusting him and doing what he's commanded. Okay? If God's word gives us an opportunity, what are you going to do with it? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your grace that you give each and every one of us an opportunity to trust and to know you and to follow you. And I pray. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that's struggling with the issue of their salvation, that they would, they would not leave today, that they would deal with it, that they would enter that narrow gate and just trust only in you. I pray, Lord, if someone's struggling with the things of this life or just need to learn more about you, I pray that they would continue to seek you. I pray that you would help each of us to surrender our pride, to surrender our understanding, to turn in our excuses, Lord, and just follow you, I pray. For you to do the work in hearts and lives, I pray, Lord, that you would have spoken. And Lord, as the opportunity goes forth to answer you this morning, I pray that none of us would just simply return to our own homes unchanged. I pray that during this time of invitation that you would meet with us this morning in a real way. In Jesus' name we pray. Take a moment as the piano begins to play. to come forward, if you need to pray there at your seat, if God has spoken to you, this is, a t this is your opportunity to respond. This is your opportunity to say yes to God. You don't have to leave here unsaved. You don't have to leave here going your own way. You can serve the Lord. You can pray there at your seat. You can come down and pray at the altar. Let's do some business.